can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. Some people may think the LGBTQ community is a welcoming and tolerant community because of common experiences. But there's actually a lot of conflict within the community. Sometimes it seems as if what's going on is gatekeeping, looking for reasons to exclude people. Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Lucia Chappell. Singapore queries citizens on sodomy law repeal, Brown Jackson's judgment foils Republican senators, and misguided gatekeeping endangers queer youth. Those stories and more this week because you found This Way Out. I'm Michael LeBeau. And I'm Melanie Keller. With NewsWrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending March 26, 2022. The government of Singapore is making an effort to find out what its citizens actually think about repealing its law against same-gender sex. Its courts have consistently rejected efforts to repeal the colonial-era penal code section 377A, claiming that the city-state's conservative society is not ready for it. Following the most recent Court of Appeal dismissal of a challenge to Section 377A, the Ministry of Communications and Information's REACH unit conducted a public opinion survey about the LGBTQ community. The 16-question online survey asked respondents if they support the rights of LGBTQ people, including a specific question about repealing the law against queer sex. The poll was only publicized on LGBT websites not on the ministry's website or in social media, according to Coconut Singapore. Nevertheless, REACH closed the survey on March 23rd after being overwhelmed by responses from more than 30,000 people. If the results strongly support LGBTQ rights, will lawmakers finally be forced to repeal 377A? Watch this space. An Italian named Alex has won legal recognition of their non-binary gender identity in ruling of the Court of Rome. Alex's lawyer, Giovanni Guercio, called it a pilot case that could open the door to other non-binary Italians seeking similar legal gender change without potential medical intervention. Current law requires people to get a court order to approve a legal gender change and to undergo gender-affirming surgery or receive hormone therapy when necessary. Guercio said that the ultimate goal is to allow trans and non-binary people to simply go to a registry office with the chosen name and gender, without even going through the court. The Texas Third Circuit Court of Appeals has upheld a temporary restraining order to stop investigations into the parents of transgender kids for child abuse. District Court Judge Amy Clark Meacham's order halted the state's Department of Family and Protective Services from following Republican Governor Greg Abbott's much-maligned directive. The injunction prevents further investigations until the full trial scheduled for July. Abbott's home invasion scheme was based on a non-binding legal opinion by Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. Paxton found that parents who authorize medically approved puberty blockers, or hormone therapy for their transgender children could be prosecuted for child abuse. His vague wording suggests that even caregivers could be charged. 
Not satisfied with hunting down the supportive parents of transgender children, Texas Attorney General Paxton is upping the ante by accusing the Austin City School District of breaking state laws with its LGBTQ Pride Week. His letter to school superintendent, Stephanie Elizalde, called it a week-long indoctrination that not only fails to obtain parental consent, but subtly cuts parents out of the loop. Paxton promoted his absurd claims on Twitter, condemning the liberal-ish Austin School District for aggressively pushing LGBTQ plus views on Texas kids. He called the district's LGBTQ positive stance immoral and illegal, while describing queer people as sexual propagandists and predators. Superintendent Elizalde is standing firm. She tweeted in response to Paxton's threats, I want all our LGBTQIA plus students to know that we were proud of them and that we will protect them against political attacks. In another U.S. hotspot of anti-queer bigotry, Florida's Don't Say Gay bill continues to make news. It's anyone's guess why Republican Governor Ron DeSantis has yet to sign it into law, unless the suspense is fueling his presidential aspirations. The Parental Rights in Education bill sailed through the Republican-dominated state legislature weeks ago. It would ban any discussion of sexual orientation or gender identity in primary school grades, but it's so vaguely worded that opponents fear it will censor those subjects in all grade levels. The Walt Disney Company is the largest private employer in Florida. After symbolic walkouts during breaks in the previous week, hundreds of workers with the various Disney-affiliated companies stage a full-scale walkout on March 22nd to protest CEO Bob Chappick's less-than-stellar response to the measure. He only publicly opposed the bill after it had reached the governor's desk. The major issue of contention is the company's substantial political donations to several anti-queer Republican politicians, including Governor DeSantis, one of Don't Say Gay's most ardent supporters. The Disney workers walked out of corporate offices in Burbank, California, and Orlando, Florida, in addition to employee walkouts at Lucasfilm, Pixar, Bento Box, and two Disney animation studios. Their numbers may not have been large, but they attracted major broadcast, cable, and print news coverage. A union spokesperson said that California and Florida Disney-themed park workers could not participate due to contract provisions. Disney owned ABC TV, Disney Plus, and Hulu streaming services issued statements supporting the walkout. On the Disney-owned ESPN, two announcers covering an NCAA women's basketball tournament game observed two minutes of silence to protest the Don't Say Gay bill. The backlash has apparently prompted Pixar to pucker up in the animated feature Lightyear. They had cut a kiss between a major character voiced by Uzo Oduba and her female partner. Variety reports that it's back. Watch for it in the latest installment of the Toy Story franchise to be released in June. Disney cannot have it both ways. As far as queer and allied activists are concerned, they cannot publicly support and donate to LGBTQ causes from one pocket and pad the coffers of rights opposing politicians from the other pocket. CEO Bob Chappick has apologized for his lackluster response and vows to do better. He announced a listening tour to help him and senior executives formulate an improved company response to anti-queer actions in the future. Meanwhile, Seattle Pride is telling a huge conglomerate that both ways won't work for it either. The board voted this week to cut ties with Amazon, a major sponsor of the city's annual parade. 
It cited almost a half million dollars in donations by the internet giant to lawmakers who have voted against LGBTQ rights. The company had stepped up its sponsorship offer to $100,000, but it came with the demand that it officially be called the Seattle Pride Parade presented by Amazon. Pride organizers said in a statement, We simply cannot partner with any organization actively harming our community through the support of discriminatory laws and politics. Governors Eric Holcomb of Indiana and Spencer Cox of Utah broke with the Republican state juggernaut against transgender kids in the U.S. this week. Both vetoed bills to ban the participation of transgender student athletes in school sports programs this week. Each said the legislation was either too broad or simply unnecessary. However, lawmakers in the Utah legislature have already voted to override Cox's veto, and it could happen again in Indiana. Similar measures are already the law of the land in more than a dozen U.S. states, although many are being challenged in court. A new study published this week by the Williams Institute at the UCLA School of Law exposed the real cost of another form of anti-trans youth legislation sweeping Republican-dominated state legislatures this year. Those bills would deny trans youth the gender-affirming health care that they need. Fifteen states have either already passed or are now considering them. According to the report, more than a third of transgender young people aged 13 to 17 are, or could be, at risk of being denied access to what can be life-saving care. That's 58,200 of an estimated 150,000 kids. Finally, infamous Rowan County, Kentucky clerk Kim Davis has lost again. Federal District Court Judge David Bunning ruled on March 18th that Davis's refusal to issue marriage licenses to two queer couples violated their constitutional rights. Citing God's authority, Davis denied licenses to Ermold and David Moore and James Yates and Will Smith in 2015, even though the U.S. Supreme Court had legalized it. The couples eventually got their licenses while Davis spent five days in jail for contempt of court. Davis insists that her constitutionally protected religious rights are being violated. The controversy, at least in part, cost her a bid for re-election in 2018. This week's ruling clears the way for the couple's damages lawsuit to go to a jury trial, but that date is yet to be determined. They are seeking both compensatory and punitive damages, as well as recouping all the legal fees they've paid over the course of the litigation. That's News Wrap. Global Queer News with Attitude for the week ending March 26, 2022. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. And you can read the transcript and listen to News Wrap each week by subscribing to our This Way Out radio channel on YouTube. For This Way Out, I'm Michael LeBeau. Stay healthy. And I'm Melanie Keller. Stay safe. This just in. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis ended the suspense on March 28th and signed the Don't Say Gay bill set to take effect on July 1st. Expect legal challenges until then. The LGBTQ community isn't an exclusive club you have to be chosen for, but this gatekeeping can have serious effects on LGBTQ youth. Who decides who you are later in the program?
in what's sometimes the home of the absurd, U.S. Supreme Court nominee Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson patiently explained rights and wrongs this week as she was grilled by Republicans on the Senate Judiciary Committee during her confirmation hearings. Senator John Cornyn of Texas targeted the court's 2015 marriage equality ruling. When the Supreme Court decides that something that is not even in the Constitution is a fundamental right and no state can pass any law that conflicts with the Supreme Court's edict, particularly in an area where people have sincerely held religious beliefs, doesn't that necessarily create a conflict between what people may believe is a matter of their religious doctrine or faith and what the federal government says is the law of the land? Well, Senator, that is the nature of a right, that um, when there is a right, um, it means that there are limitations on regulation, even if uh, people are regulating pursuant to their sincerely held religious beliefs. Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn veered away from judicial matters altogether in her transphobic rant. She tried to use Judge Jackson's position on the board of a local private school against her. With Georgetown Day School, I found it astounding that it teaches kindergartners that they can choose their gender. Do you agree that our schools should teach children that they can choose their gender? Senator, I'm not making comments about All right. what schools can teach. Let their... me let me ask you this then. Uh, can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? N not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. The fact that you can't give me a straight answer about something as fundamental as what a woman is underscores the dangers of the kind of progressive education that we are hearing about. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha! Marsha Blackburn, that is, one of the Republican senators hurling hogwash at U.S. Supreme Court nominee Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson. Hi, this is Janice Ian, and you're listening to This Way Out. Oh, my. Do younger queers have it easier? The outcasting overtimers find that the old closet doors can be replaced by new gatekeepers. This is Outcasting Overtime from Media for the Public Good, creator of Public Radio's LGBTQ youth programs. Hi, I'm Carol, an outcasting youth participant. Imagine with me a high school student named Jonathan. He's 17 and he's new in town. In his previous school, someone found out he was gay, and within a week, everyone in the school had heard. Most kids were indifferent, and his friends were generally pretty accepting, but there was a small crowd of kids who stole his phone, called him the F-word, and scrawled it on his locker, teamed up against him in gym class, and abused him in the locker room. The school didn't do enough to help, and eventually things got so bad that his parents moved the whole family to a new town so he could start over. So obviously he's hesitant about coming out in his new school. He's worried that if people find out, all the bullying could start up again. 
But after a few years of pretending to notice girls the way most of his friends do, and censoring himself so that he doesn't give himself away, he wants to try being honest and coming out a bit. But he wants to be careful. Like everyone else in a new school, Jonathan wants to find a circle of friends he can be a part of. He's looking for something that's at least friendly toward LGBTQ people, so he tries out for the high school musical, and he gets a part. Obviously, theater isn't exclusively gay, but it's certainly gay-friendly, and Jonathan figures he'll probably make friends with at least a few other LGBTQ students. When you're doing theater, friendships can develop quickly and intensely, and during rehearsals, he makes friends with a group of other kids who have known each other for years. Some of them are straight, and some are LGBTQ, including a few who are very open about being LGBTQ. He slowly lets his new friends know that he's gay, but has never dated anyone, and he tries not to be busily gay in how he comes across. After the opening night performance, there's a cast party. People are posing for pictures, and some of the kids have kept their stage makeup on. It looks as if everyone's having a lot of fun, but Jonathan keeps himself on the edge. Victor, one of the kids still wearing makeup, tries to pull Jonathan into the photo, but Jonathan says no. Victor tries again, a little more aggressively. Come on, Jonathan. Everyone knows you're gay. Don't be so uptight. Try to have some fun. Jonathan pulls back even more and Victor gets mad and says, You didn't even leave your makeup on. You never even dated anyone. I don't think you're really gay. Over the next couple of weeks, the group pulls away from Jonathan. He tries to connect with people, but Victor keeps giving him sarcastic looks, and the rest of the group seems to be following Victor's lead. And in the end, Jonathan is left on the outside looking in. How does a group of friends just evaporate like that? What's Victor's problem? Jonathan was already being bullied for being gay at his previous school. Did Victor think Jonathan was somehow not gay enough? Is there a middle ground? And what does any of this have to do with how Jonathan feels most comfortable with himself? Some people may think the LGBTQ community is a welcoming and tolerant community because of common experiences, including the often shared experiences of oppression. But there's actually a lot of conflict within the community. Sometimes the reasons for conflicts are understandable, but other times it seems as if what's going on is gatekeeping looking for reasons to exclude people, which is what happened when Victor implied that Jonathan wasn't gay enough. So why do some LGBTQ people feel the need to exclude others? It could partially be generational. There are some older LGBTQ people, probably not many, but some, who may feel that they came out and started living their authentic lives in earlier times, when it was harder to do that than it is now, and that younger people are sort of freeloading on the hard work they did to try to gain equality and acceptance. These older people may think, I fought through the difficulty and it made me a better, stronger person, and now I get to live my life fully. And from there, it doesn't seem like a very big leap in logic to think that people who didn't have to fight those fights are somehow less deserving. But what is this about deserving? Is membership in the LGBTQ community something you have to earn? If you identify as trans, 
is there a requirement that you have to undergo hormone therapy and surgery so that you can earn the right to call yourself trans? Are people going to think you're less trans if you decide not to? And what about bisexuality? Some gay people say that bisexuality isn't even real, that it's just a stepping stone on the way to coming out as 100% gay, and that you're just a gay person in denial. Some might even challenge your bisexuality if you've only ever dated people of the opposite sex. Some of this may seem trivial. After all, the LGBTQ community isn't an exclusive club you have to be chosen for. But this gatekeeping can have serious effects on LGBTQ youth. Let's say you're a teenager and you start becoming aware of having same-sex attractions. You spend time thinking about what that means. Maybe you go online to talk about these feelings with other people. The internet makes it safe to do that. You can be anonymous and not have to risk coming out to people you know in real life if you're not ready. So you come out to yourself and acknowledge in your own mind that you're gay. Maybe you even come out privately to a few carefully selected friends. But what if you run into someone like Victor, whose outward presentation is more visibly LGBTQ than you're comfortable with? What if he criticizes you and makes you feel less than because of your more traditional gender presentation? And what if you've never actually dated anyone? Or even what if you only dated people of the opposite sex because you're too worried about being perceived as gay? If someone like Victor comes along, is he going to make you feel that you're not even legitimately gay? Does that make you feel that you don't belong? And what if it costs you your friends? When you're cisgender and heterosexual or cishet, you never need to think about it because that's what most people around you are, because that's what most people think is quote-unquote normal. Cishet identities are what society is arranged around. Just think of gender-segregated restrooms and locker rooms, and the fact that straight couples have always been able to get married, something gay couples couldn't do in all of the U.S. until just seven years ago. When you're LGBTQ, society doesn't really fit your identity under the best of circumstances, and it often seeks to exclude you. We hear almost every week about the don't say gay bills around the country, or the laws seeking to ban trans kids from playing school sports, or the lawsuits in which cake shop owners or florists or website designers cite their religious beliefs to justify discrimination against LGBTQ people that will never be allowed against other minorities. Stereotypes about LGBTQ people contribute a lot to how we're perceived, and if you're young and don't fit the stereotypes, or the stereotypes don't fit you, you may feel unsure of who you really are. So labels like gay and bi and trans can help you figure yourself out. It's really convenient to sort people into categories because it helps make sense of the world. And if you find a community of other LGBTQ people, it can feel like you finally found a home for the first time. But labels simplify things that are usually a lot more complex. We're learning that even the basic categories of male and female don't apply to everyone. And completely aside from your internal feelings and how you act on them, or don't, there are a lot of ways to express your identity to the people around you. You can be traditionally masculine or feminine in a way that's consistent with your gender identity or inconsistent with it. 
You can present yourself as non-binary or androgynous or even non-gendered. Also really important is how you feel about yourself. It can take a lot of time, experimentation, and self-examination to figure out who you are. And the Q in LGBTQ can stand for questioning. Our gatekeeper is going to prolong that questioning phase or even make you think that you're less trans if you don't want to transition medically. If you haven't ever dated anyone of the same sex, might you begin to doubt that you're really gay? If you don't present yourself in a way that people see as obviously gay, might other LGBTQ people accuse you of trying to pass for straight and thus not have the burden of being identifiable as LGBTQ? Is your internal identity tied up with how much you conform to stereotypes? And if you don't conform, are you risking rejection from the very community you're trying to become part of? As young people, we're often vulnerable as we try to make our identities come into focus at the same time that we're dealing with the general challenges and uncertainties of being a teenager. We need to feel that we belong somewhere and getting accepted and validated by our friends can be really important. So when someone tells you that despite your own feelings, you're not gay enough, as Victor did to Jonathan, or you're not trans enough or bi enough or whatever, that can undermine both your sense of being accepted by your friends and your own evolving internal understanding of your identity. We can hope that Jonathan ended up okay, but LGBTQ youth can have a hard time talking about themselves or even admitting to themselves that they're LGBTQ. And this can lead to thoughts of self-harm. So we hope that Victor's rejection wasn't a tipping point for Jonathan at the very time he was tentatively coming out and seeking acceptance from a new group of friends. There are enough challenges from society at large. What we don't need is to have people in our own community making things even more difficult. So to the handful of LGBTQ people who are still gatekeeping, instead of looking for reasons to exclude people, recognize that there isn't just one way to be LGBTQ. And if you came out earlier, join the majority and be glad that you helped pave the way for younger people to have an easier time than you did. Along with your own freedom, wasn't that what you were fighting for anyway? Thanks for listening to Outcasting Overtime from Outcasting Media, creator of Public Radio's LGBTQ youth programs. Outcasting Media is a production of Media for the Public Good based in New York. This piece was created by the Outcasting team, including Isha, Tim, Tomas, and me, Carol. Our executive producer is Mark Sofis. Visit us at outcastingmedia.org to get information about outcasting. Watch Outcasting Radios, access our social media links, and listen to outcasting and related content. You can also find Outcasting on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Audible, Pocket Cast, and other podcast sites. Thanks, and thanks for listening. We're going to have a great night uh, tonight, and for you people in Florida, we're going to have a gay night. Gay, 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 gay. Oscar's Queerest Moments, next time on This Way Out. Thanks for
for Finding This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. Some program material this week came from Michael LeBeau and Melanie Keller, produced by Brian DeShazer, and from Outcasting Overtime's Carol, produced by Mark Sofus. Whitney Houston performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This Way Out thanks the Kicking Assets Fund of the Tides Foundation, the Yovana Foundation, a bequest from Christopher David Trentum, and donors Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Special thanks also this week to WERUFM in East Orland, Maine, for their faithful support. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For coordinating producer Greg Gordon and everyone at This Way Out, I'm Lucia Chappell. Thanks for listening online at thiswayout.org and on 3CH Wooden Victoria, Radio Phoenix, Phoenix, Arizona, WWUH West Hartford, Connecticut, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned, y'all.